evening. Turn with me, if you would, to Second uh, Peter, chapter one. Second Peter, chapter one. I want us to begin reading in verse five. It says, "Now, for this very reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance." and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true kingdom, in the true knowledge, I should say, of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. You've probably heard of Jacob's ladder. Well, this is Peter's ladder. And that ladder begins at the bottom rung with faith. And every subsequent rung is defined here by Peter. Yesterday, my wife and I put up Christmas lights. I took a large extension ladder and got to the very peak of our roof to get that that light at the very top, to get it inserted between the shingles and the roof line. It took a lot of faith. Every step on that ladder was a step of faith. And when you got to the top and you looked down and saw how far it was and the wind blowing you a little bit, wondering if that ladder was going to hold you, that is a ladder of faith. Peter is describing a ladder of faith. And here's something that we need to get straight from the very beginning. Everyone is climbing a ladder. Everybody. What you've got to decide is, am I climbing the right ladder? Or maybe put it this way, is my ladder leaning against the right wall. You ever prayed for someone to fall off the ladder? Yeah, I have. Yeah, if you're climbing a ladder, or if someone you love is climbing a ladder that's leaning against the wrong building, you might pray for them to fall off. I've prayed that prayer. I've prayed for someone that I love dearly to fall off the ladder because they were going in a direction and up a wall that they shouldn't have been climbing. And sometimes the only way you realize it is when you fall off, right? I mean, it's true most times that when a person finds themselves in a bottomless pit, when they have fallen off the ladder, is is only the time that they really realize that they need to do something different with their life and that they need to make a change. I I think about Solomon. I think about his memoir, his diary that is Ecclesiastes. And I think about how he attained the highest heights when it comes to wealth and and riches and fame but all of it was for naught because he was climbing up the wrong ladder leaning against the wrong building and he realizes that at the end doesn't he he says that all of it's a chasing after a wind it's a meaningless it's it's vanity and that all that really mattered in the end was that you love God and keep his commandments there are ladders that scale the highest heights of success and fame and fortune, and there are ladders 
that when we climb them and we reach the top, we realize that all the effort and the straining to get to that top rung was really for naught because the destination wasn't all that fulfilling after all. Peter starts by reminding his audience about what their ladder is leaning against. It's leaning against truth. It's leaning against the knowledge that they are, in fact, children of God. Look at the first four verses again. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that, he has, that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust what's propping up this ladder what's propping us up i think peter makes it clear it's god it's jesus it's the gospel it's it's salvation it's the fact that we belong to god again peter is addressing aliens and strangers and we talked about that a little bit this morning your version may use pilgrims or sojourners and what we see here in, in especially if you back up in first peter chapter 2 he speaks of our identity in christ he says that that we are a chosen race a royal priesthood a, a holy nation a people for god's own possession in other words peter says you're different you don't belong to the world you belong to someone who has different values who expects different things from you. This world is not your home, so don't get too comfortable here. And by the way, do you know why Peter says to those who have received a faith the same kind as ours? You know what he's talking about here? Any idea who he's talking to? In essence, Peter says to the people he's writing to that their faith is equal in honor and privilege. Actually, the Greek word that's used here is isotimos. Isos meaning equal and timos meaning honor. So, who would he be referring to if he's talking about those who have a like faith or equal in faith and honor? Well, he'd be talking to us, right? Specifically, he's talking to the Gentiles of his time, but that's us, right? As we've talked about many times, we were grafted into the kingdom and so that we are a part of this story now. And so really, in a very real sense, Peter is actually speaking to us as well as the original audience. The great privilege and honor that was once reserved exclusively for the Jews has been extended to the Gentiles. These folks Peter is talking to had been despised, but through Christ they have been given equal status in the kingdom. That's us. So when you read through this, you read it as if Peter is writing these words to you. So the latter is leaning against the proper structure, which is the gospel, which is salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, the solid structure that is built on the foundation of God's divine power, which Peter says has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so this ladder must be standing on solid ground and must be propped up against a sturdy structure or else it's going to fall over. Or you're going to reach the top and realize that what's there is not worth having. Now, where is Peter's ladder leading to? The only question is not what's it leaning against. The other question is what's it leading to? And, and we might say, well, it, it leads up, right? But as we talked about this morning, Peter doesn't talk so much about going up to heaven as much as he talks about Jesus coming down, as much as he talks about heaven being revealed to us the unseen being revealed. Notice what is written in verses 8 and following. 
2 Peter 1. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So where is the ladder leading? I think our knee-jerk reaction is to say heaven, but really the context of what Peter is talking about here is growth and development. I mean, he's going to end this letter with, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what is being talked about within the context is our growth and development as Christians. Do you know what geotropism is? You ever heard of that? Some of you science nerds, you know what geotropism is? Basically, geotropism in a very simple form is that roots go down and stems go up. There's something else known as phototropism, which is the idea that a plant is going to grow up towards the sun because it desires light. And so it's going to turn its leaves up and it's going to grow up because it wants light and its, and its roots are going to grow down, okay, to give it a solid structure underneath the soil. Now, I don't know that Peter had tropism in mind when he was writing this, but certainly there is a spiritual sense in which it would apply. This is spiritual phototropism, if you will. We grow up towards the sun, S-O-N, and we develop a root system that is solid and built on the foundation that is God's Word, that's built on discipleship and faithfully following Jesus. And so we grow up and we grow down. We develop that root system as we grow up towards the light that is the Son of God. So think of Peter's ladder as leading to further growth and development. That's the context here. Or, if I can borrow another description, think of it like this. Take what we have looked at already and combine it with what Peter writes over in chapter 3. He says this, starting in verse 10. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking forward and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which were some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want you to hear me on this. You probably already know it, but you need to keep it at the forefront of your minds and your heart. The glorious truth about this life is that it's going somewhere that this isn't all that there is, that there's something better on the horizon. 
That is a message that we see uh, recited over and over again in Scripture. We see it from Old Testament to New that there is something better. In fact, one of the sub-themes of the Bible is better than. And Jesus came to be better than. He was better than the Old Covenant. He, he's bringing a, a better system. He's bringing a, 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 the Messiah who is better than who they thought the Messiah was going to be. He's a better deliverer. He's a better atoning sacrifice, better in every single way. And he is pointing to something better as he brings this new kingdom. There is hope on the horizon. There is a future glory that we all get to enjoy as we live eternally with the Heavenly Father. So, since the second coming of Jesus is a reality, since we do know that this life is going somewhere and that Jesus is coming back, what does that mean for us? We talked about it a little bit this morning. Here, Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be? That's the question. What sort of people ought we to be as we await the arrival of Jesus? And his answer to his own question is that we as alien strangers need to be holy in conduct and godliness. We need to be looking for and hastening the coming of God. We need to be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. We need to regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We need to be on guard so as not to be carried away by false teachers. And we should be the type of people who are constantly growing and developing. In short, what sort of people ought we to be? Prepared. We need to be preparing. Heaven is won or lost right here, right now. So we need to be preparing for the time when Jesus returns. If Jesus is coming back, and he is, and if we don't know the day or the hour that he is returning, and we don't, then we need to be ready. And how do we get ready? Well, we prepare. How do we prepare? Well, you turn back to our text for this evening, and you see. That's how you prepare. You are on the ladder. You are climbing the ladder. Your preparation involves growth and maturity. Or, to borrow a different analogy, you're packing your bags for your destination. What do you pack in your bag? If you're going to prepare to leave this life, if you're going to prepare to leave your life as an exile and to go home, what do you need to pack? Well, he tells us, faith. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. If you as a Christian only pack these things, you're going to be well supplied. This is all you need. Your supply list, if it includes these things, you'll be more than adequately equipped for the journey. Notice a few of these things. He says faith. Why would you start with faith? Well, that's I mean, that's the root system, right? You start with faith. I don't care what ladder you're climbing or what journey you're going on. If you miss that first rung on the ladder, which is faith, then you're not going to get anywhere. If you don't put faith in your bag first, it doesn't matter what else you pack. Faith has to be supplied first. We must get faith right to get the rest of it right. And so if that's not in your bag, it doesn't matter what else you pack. The proper faith should move us to action. It should lead us up the process of climbing that ladder and growing and developing in our maturity because faith is not inactive. Nowhere in scripture do you find faith that is a mental ascent or just believing something, but rather it is, it is something that is active. It is a verb. But then also you pack moral excellence. If you use the King James, it says virtue, the meaning of which is courage. You think it's going to take courage in this journey as exiles, to prepare for our, our departure? Absolutely. 
Courage to stand for what is right morally. Courage to, to do the right thing, even when everyone around you is doing wrong. So courage is important. Knowledge is important. It may sound obvious, but definitely knowledge is important because how can you know what God expects of you? How can you know how to worship Him? How can you know how to follow His will if you, if you don't have a knowledge of His Word? As we've said many times before, knowledge without action is meaningless, so knowledge has to translate into action. But knowledge is important, right? I mean, knowledge of what God expects of us. Then it says self-control. The Greek word for self-control is ekrateia. It literally means to take grip of oneself. Master your possessions, not your possessions, your passions, and master your desires. No longer are you controlled by things of this world. You're controlled by God. And following self-control, he mentions perseverance. Some translations use the word patience or steadfastness. You think this is important in a journey, in any journey, especially the Christian's journey that may go uphill, that may go through the valley of the shadow of death? Is endurance important? Is patience and steadfastness important? important? Absolutely. William Barclay said it like this, it is the courageous acceptance of everything that life can do to us and the transforming of even the worst event into another step on the upward way. That's, that's the perseverance or endurance that is mentioned here. And this also should lead to godliness. Godliness means giving God his due. What does that mean? Well, it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That sounds like everything, doesn't it? You give God his due by loving him with your entire being and seeking to do his will in all things. But it's not just about giving God his due. Godliness means what? It means giving our fellow man his due as well. Because the second foremost command is, like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the essence of Christianity. Love God, love your neighbor. And so... Godliness is giving God his due, giving your fellow man his due as well. And related to that is brotherly kindness. And when you see that phrase, brotherly kindness, some, some things probably pop in your mind. The golden rule, the parable of the good Samaritan. That's what's being mentioned here. Christians should do good unto others and treat them as they want to be treated. And then finally, the final item in your bag or the final rung on the ladder is love. And love is the glue that holds all of this together. Yes, faith has to be in your bag before you ever get started. But if love's not there, then your journey is meaningless. It doesn't go anywhere. Love has to be there. Because that's why you're climbing anyway. Because of the love you have for God, the love you have for His Son. That's why you're making the journey anyway, because of who is at the destination. You're trying to get there because you want to fall into the arms of Jesus, right? So love has to be in your bag. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. We walk by faith, not by sight. And our faith is a product of love. And so we follow, we obey because of love. And we walk the walk because of where it leads. We climb the ladder because who, who is at the top? Peter's supply list includes everything that we aliens will need in our journey through this life. If we pack our bags with these things only, we will be adequately supplied. And why do I say that? Because it's just our nature to overpack, isn't it? It's just kind of how we are. I went to Seneca, Missouri last week, which is very close to where Libby and I came from. And... I took a lot of clothing, a uh, lot more than I needed. I think I only wore about three or four things while I was there, but I took all this stuff because, you know, I, 
thinking about the weather. Is it going to be, you know, I kind of look at the weather, but my weather app's never right. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with it. You know, it snowed on Monday. I didn't really have a, a, a heavy coat. I brought a coat, but not one, you know, that I could stay out in the cold too long. On the drive up there on Saturday, one of my favorite people in the church at Mill Street, where I came from, passed away. A lovely lady that, that did so much for me and my kids, and she'd really not been sick. But it was a great opportunity for me because I got to do the funeral. And you know, this little church in Cassville, Missouri, there were you know, 700 people at the visitation, about four or 500 at the church that only holds about 250. And it was so exciting to see all these people turn out to pay homage to her. But here's the reason I tell you that. Cassville is the city of seven valleys. And so there's a lot of hills and there's a lot of valleys. And the cemetery is up on a large hill. And I did the funeral service, nine degrees. It's snowing. And I didn't have a coat. So I didn't pack properly. It's just our nature to overpack or it's just our nature to maybe not pack enough things or pack adequately. And Peter says, if, if you only pack your bags with these things, you will be adequately supplied. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. In the end, all these other things you're overfilling your bags with, you can't take with you anyway. So quit stuffing them in the suitcase and only pack the things that you need. I went to La Palma, El Salvador about 10 years ago, and we were told we can only bring one carry-on bag. That's it, nothing else. So you think about that, you're going to be there for a week, and I was going to be preaching in the evenings and working during the day, and so two sets of clothes. Also, the restrictions for the airline was like it couldn't weigh more than 40 pounds, couldn't be more than 51 linear inches. Let me tell you something, folks, you learn how to pack light. You learn how to roll things. You learn how to really stack it in there so that you can take as much as possible without, you know, having too much. I think when we look at what Peter is talking about here in this supply list, I think, I think what he's saying is travel light. As aliens and pilgrims in this world, we need to learn to travel light. We must cut out the wants and only take what we need. I'm not saying that you need to sell off everything you own and go live in a monastery somewhere. But we need to keep a loose grip on the things that we can't take with us. Listen to what Paul wrote, Philippians 4, starting in verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me ask you, what was the secret to Paul's contentment? What do you think the secret was? I think it was the fact that he was adequately supplied for the journey, that at the end of it all, he had all that he needed. Paul's bag was full of what he needed, which was Christ. And that sustained him. In times of want, in times of plenty, he had all he really needed anyway. You know, 1973, the year I was born. In 1973, Secretariat won the Triple Crown. You might remember that, some of you. Secretariat won the Triple Crown in amazing fashion. He didn't just win, he blew away the competition. I think he won by 31 links, maybe. You know, sports guys can check me on that. David's sitting there going, yeah, something like that. You're close. He blew the competition away. I think it was at the Belmont Stakes that he won by 31 lengths. 
And his jockey said that with each phase of the race, he got faster and faster. To the point that if they had run another lap, Secretariat's heart would have exploded. Literally. Because he was putting forth so much effort and racing at such a fast pace, if he had gone another lap, his heart would have literally exploded. I want that to be me. I want that to be you. I want us to be racing at such breakneck speed, up the ladder, on this journey, that when we do make it to heaven, our heart is about to explode. With so much love for the one who is standing there waiting for us. Wouldn't that be great? May we all die climbing. May we all die racing for the finish line. And may we be on the brink of our heart exploding. What's your need tonight? How can we help you? David's going to lead us in a song. If, we have, if you have something that we can help you with, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, if maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, or perhaps you need the prayers of this church family, why don't you come while we stand and sing?